0: Don't go for wolf contractors. Don't go for a sheep in wolf's clothing. Don't lick toads.
1: Uncaged Wisdom, Cheetah Digital's podcast for modern marketing.
0: Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of Uncaged Wisdom, the podcast for modern marketers. I'm your host, Julian Bracey Davis. And I'm your
1: host, Des, Kayla Sigmeyer.
0: I hope you're all feeling hungry as we have a huge amount of information to digest on today's culinary themed episode. Whether you spent more time in the front or back of the house, it has never been more important for QSR brands to invest in their digital marketing technologies. With today's guest, we're striving for Misa Plus, how QSR marketers can get everything in its place digitally. You see, restaurant terms, I'm, I'm all over it. Our special guest is a former restaurant executive who has previously led marketing digital technology for fast casual restaurants, served as CMO for digital ordering brands used throughout the industry, and also taught both undergraduate and graduate level marketing courses as an adjunct professor. Kayla, we best learn some things today. He's Cheetah Digital's industry solutions director, focused in particular on leading our growth in the restaurant industry. It's Kevin Sanders. Welcome, Kevin
2: glad to be here
1: our icebreaker question today what is the worst or weirdest thing that you've ever eaten wow
2: worst thing that i've ever eaten i have had alligator before yeah so that is that was an interesting experience what's your favorite food as well i uh i'd have to say i'm i'm kind of partial to to mexican food i am uh, i'm a big fan of the old uh uh, the old Tex-Mex, in particular, but um, you know it's hard to pass up a good, a good smothered burrito.
0: We've titled this "Building Your Your Restaurant's Digital House," and as I mentioned, I will be looking at how marketers in that world can can approach using marketing software, digital marketing software, to their advantage and, and really upleveling either what, what they're doing today or thinking about how they should be should be approaching that in in the future. But to start off. Love to know a bit more about yourself because you have tremendous background um, on on multiple fronts in this space.
2: Yeah, I think my my restaurant journey really kind of began uh, really on the agency side. I was uh, working for a a marketing agency at the time and and one of our clients was a uh, relatively large restaurant chain. And so I spent a number of years kind of working on that restaurant. Uh, chain really helping them with strategy and branding, and and really got to kind of understand the way that the that the restaurant industry worked. Um, I then had the opportunity to to go and join a, a, a restaurant chain, a fast casual brand, as as their head of marketing. And so I I kind of climbed inside the the machine and spent a number of years, um, you know, working with franchisees and and you know the operations team and the the digital team and everything else, uh, really leading a lot of the national and local marketing programs as. As well as the marketing technology for that for that brand, and um, when I finally left there, one of our uh, key vendors at the time was a, a company called Splicket, and they were our digital digital ordering vendor. So they had built our our app and and our digital ordering capabilities, and uh, they uh, they invited me in to be their CMO. And so I joined that group uh, as a CMO, working really on the services end and the the technology side of of the restaurant house. Um, and we acquired another company called Onesis and uh, was the CMO for those folks as well. And so, you know, I've kind of had all the different sides of it uh, in terms of being both uh, a restaurant executive, but also working deeply with the, the various components of restaurant technology.
1: I wanted to kind of talk about where we're at in terms of the restaurant landscape. So 2020 changed the game completely and I'm guessing that it's not gonna go away now that we're all kind of trained to expect things you know, delivered out to a car, getting things off premise really easily. It'd be really interesting to kind of hear from you what the consequences of 2020 really were and what does that mean for this year?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, obviously COVID had a profound effect uh, on the restaurant industry. Uh, And interestingly, it was really a story of the kind of the haves and the have nots, though. Uh, you had some chains actually that did really well, right? If you were a, a pizza concept or a, or a wings concept, for example, or if you had a strong digital engagement program already in place and were easy to, to sort of shift your business um, into more of an off-premise and, uh, way of doing business, then, you know, you might've done pretty well last year. In fact, there were a number of chains that had record years, uh, surprisingly. Uh, but if you were a, you know, a casual dining chain or a, or a fine dining concept, uh, or if you were, you know, unfortunately sort of behind the curve when it came to digital technology and, and weren't as prepared for it, you know, then not so much. And unfortunately, those segments of the market really uh, suffered uh, and it's really unfortunate. Um, but really what what happened with COVID is it, it just accelerated these changes in consumer behavior that were already in motion prior to the pandemic, right? We were already, as you mentioned, starting to, to migrate to this kind of off-premise model more so. Um, and, uh, and COVID just forced the restaurant industry to accelerate those changes, you know, much more rapidly. And, and you know, to their credit, many of them pulled off remarkable transformations of their business uh, in, in a matter of weeks, you know, to, to transfer from a all on premise to a largely off premise business. And it was, uh, you know, it's a testament to the, to the folks in that industry that they were able to pull off some of that.
0: So Kevin, I guess uh, the best way is to sort of um, hand it over to yourself to sort of set up yeah, the steps of, of what we're going to talk about today. We'll go into the different steps, starting off with the, the foundations when it comes to building a house. But before we even
2: dive there, I just wondered if there was a way that you wanted to sort of set up what we're about to go through. When I look at restaurants in general, I mean, they use a lot of different types of technology. And I think it's easy for marketers to think of these as individual tools. Um, But it's really important, I think, to think of these as a a system of integrated pieces and integrated parts. Uh, And and therefore, I kind of think of the metaphor of a house as a simple framework uh, for thinking about how to sort of go about assembling this marketing tech stack in a way that allows these technologies to sort of build on each other uh, to get to the point where you can uh, really truly deliver the types of customer experiences that uh, restaurant consumers are expecting today.
0: We got to we got to start off with with these foundations and 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 what for yeah QSRs in particular what what are those How do you build up from this What should we people looking for
2: Yeah, well I think the foundation of that house is as you mentioned is um, is the critical piece of this right You need to pr- pr- to provide that platform upon which you can build this kind of digital tech stack uh, and the foundation of that is this idea of unified data this this ability for restaurants to consolidate both their customer data, and that is what, what they know about their customers uh, with all these transaction streams uh, that, that are out there uh, and your ability to uh, sort of integrate all of the data that you have from all the various streams that you're collecting in um, and create that sort of unified system of record that provides that sort of single view of the customer that we all desire. Because again, that really truly becomes that foundation uh, upon which you can sort of build the rest of this this house. And so you need to be able to uh, have a system that is flexible enough to capture all the different streams of customer data that you're getting uh, and then consolidate it uh, in a way that uh, you can act on it, that it becomes actionable. And so the foundation of our house is this idea of, of capturing all that data and unifying it into a single platform that you can you can then use.
1: What do you think is making that such a hurdle for marketers? We know that it is right. We hear it from our clients every day. Um, the prospects that we talked to, um, what do you think is really kind of standing in the way of being able to create that true foundation of unified data?
2: Well, I think the, the biggest piece of that is, we talked about a little bit already, is that idea of having so many different streams of data um, and so many different signal points of data across all the touch touch points that you have with your customers. I mean, when I was you know, leading the marketing team uh, at a restaurant chain, I mean, I had a different email vendor, I had a different SMS vendor, I had a different mobile app vendor, I had a different payment vendor, different gift card vendor, different, you know, ordering vendor, I mean, I had all of these different vendors, and none of them were built on the same platform, right, they couldn't integrate with each other, they couldn't talk to each other, they couldn't share information, um, and I became the source of sort of consolidation and unification of all that data, and, you know, as a result, you just have this tremendously fragmented and siloed, uh, you know, data streams, uh, that aren't really actionable, and so I think that's clearly the number one hurdle. And as I mentioned already, you know, restaurants have a lot of different types of technologies because there's lots of different ways to engage with consumers. Got our yeah
0: uh, single source of truth. That's what we should be striving for, uh, where we can recognize customer behaviors and obviously action all of that information. That's 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 what we need running through everything. That's our foundations. So
2: uh, our first wall, yeah. So I think you, you've got your foundation for your house. And I think the first wall, again, if you think of this visually that, you know, one of the walls is this idea of of next-gen loyalty. And, um, you know, loyalty programs, I I think are so critical for restaurants because they become the entry point into the digital ecosystem, right? If you think about how most folks are joining a restaurant loyalty program, it's by downloading the app uh, and signing up within the app. And by doing so, then you're opening up not only the digital ordering capability through that app, but you're also opening up the direct communication channels uh, as well. And so I think a loyalty program done properly really becomes sort of the gateway to that digital relationship with the customer. And I think they're really important to have, but it's not, it's not good enough just to have a loyalty program. I think what you really need to have is what I kind of call the next gen loyalty or kind of 2.0 loyalty, and that is, uh, a program that is beyond just kind of the earn and burn, you know, transaction driven types of programs that we've had in the past. Um, but, you know, everyone's talking today about personalization. And I think uh, a lot of restaurant brands are stuck with a kind of a first gen loyalty program that doesn't offer the flexibility that they need to create those one in one, one to one personalized experiences. And so um, I think if we want to get to the point where we're personalizing offers, We're going to need a more sophisticated loyalty platform that is both robust enough and flexible enough to be able to deliver offers, you know, really down to a personalized level, uh, to a one-on-one customer level. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of the loyalty programs of the past simply are not able to do that anymore.
0: What makes my head hurt often is thinking about the variables when it comes to franchises, you know, even small franchises, when you've got multiple locations for a franchise, a, a big franchise in different parts of the city, different parts of the country, all of them will have a degree of, of of unique offers or a way of talking. How do brands approach that, Kevin, with this perhaps next-gen loyalty in mind? Is it about the right offer at the right time for the right person in the right place? How
2: How would you even approach that distributed piece? It is very important because, again, I think if you talk to any of the franchisees out there and you know, again, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of franchisees, and they will they will tell you all about how unique their particular uh, you know neighborhood is, or their marketplace, or the or the market that they're in, or the um, you know their their uh, the area that they operate in um, has some unique things about it, and, and you know all the way down to the point where you've got you know really sort of neighborhood and community involvement uh, that you need to be able to support as a franchisor, and so giving people the flexibility. To be able to take what you create for them uh, and yet sort of customize it down to the level uh, to an individual store level, where they can they can deploy it in a way that is most effective uh, for their particular circumstances, um, I think you know is critical to uh, to allowing these franchisees to be as effective as they can in building their own businesses.
1: Um, one thing that you know we were talk- you talked about earlier with the next gen loyalty. Um, around kind of expanding beyond just earn and burn offers. We've heard a lot about value exchange. a lot of the time we talk about value exchange in terms of you know, capturing data in a consented way. But how are you seeing some loyalty programs that you're working with currently or have in the past starting to offer those more personalized experiences or driving more value that beyond those offers? Do you have examples that you can share?
2: We can use the word offer" pretty loosely, right? Um, they don't need to just be promotions or discounts. You know they can really be of anything anything of value to the consumer. Uh, and so that might be things like you know unique content uh, or uh, relevant brand messages or entertainment, or uh, you know education, things that solve people's problems, um, sharing helpful tips uh, or or simple you know thank yous. I mean, there's you know there's lots of things that you can get into, and if you've got a program that is flexible enough and robust enough, um, you know, then you can pick the specific kinds of offers, um, that you think will most resonate with the consumer based on what you know about them. And so I think that, um, you know, getting beyond or transcending beyond kind of points and discounts, uh, it really is the most, uh, is the next best step in loyalty programs is to get to the point where you can deliver those, that, that value exchange, uh, you know, really on the customer's terms, what they think is valuable, not, not necessarily what you think is valuable. And it's not always just discounts on your product.
0: Going back to building a house. I'm, I'm loving this. Some of the digital houses in the past uh, in the QSR and restaurant have actually started with, in many ways, probably building the loyalty element. Maybe the, the loyalty program is the entire house. How do you approach revamping or even replacing? What we're you trying to build up together here today is 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 a package of integrated solutions that really do allow people to action upon the foundational data that we've already talked about but what if you've already got quite a a a sturdy piece that is an old loyalty program that's preventing building regulations
2: (laughs) yeah yeah um i think there is a um you know, if you really think about it, restaurants were doing loyalty programs, you know, long before most other categories were, You know, all the way back to the sort of, you know, punch cards, right? Uh, and so restaurants have been evolving their loyalty programs from very, very early on. But uh, a lot of them, I think, have just been that, again, what I'll call first-gen loyalty, which is simply uh, how do we deliver points to our customers Um and, uh, and give them discounts and rewards off of our product. And that's a very simplest, simplistic approach. Um, that's one piece of it, right? I think the other piece of it is how do you begin to segment those audiences in ways that make sense so that you can deliver relevant off- offers to relevant segments. And I think there are some very sophisticated uh, segmentation uh, programs and, and order management platforms that can literally layer over the top of existing loyalty programs that can really add another level of sophistication to an existing loyalty par- program. So, you may have a first gen loyalty program today, but there are offer management capabilities, and, and Cheetah's got one um, that can literally layer over the top of your existing program um, to, to really take it to the next level and get it much closer to that next gen capability that, that is so critical.
0: On our other wall, it doesn't matter if you went for left side wall or right side wall, it's fine. We can, you know, whatever your preference is. But you mentioned there actually the importance of delivering the, the right the right offer, the broad kind of offer. I suppose the, the nice way to tee this up is making sure that we're being able to deliver it in the right way. Um, so is that a good way to sort of talk about messaging and the third piece, which is our secondary wall? How, how would you like to introduce, yeah, the uh, part three of our house?
2: Right. So the other wall, if like one wall is the ability to uh, really customize your audiences and deliver those kinds of offers in a really robust way, the other wall there then becomes that delivery mechanism, like how you get those offers to folks. And that becomes uh, how you message, how you deliver and activate on those messages. And that is a, uh, you know, a cross-channel messaging platform uh, that it can allow you to deliver those offers, um, really in a way that meets customers where they're at, right? We're gonna we're we're gonna want to engage with them through whatever channel they prefer to use, you know, and or are currently using, right? So if someone's reaching out to us through one channel, we want to be able to to communicate with them through that same channel, um, or respect their wishes to be communicated with uh, through one channel or the other. And so, uh, you know, I think it's important to think about are you able to do that, right? Are you able to deliver these messages in the ways that your customers or your guests would like to receive them? Um, and the second piece of that is, can you deliver those messages in a cross-channel way um, so that you are delivering those messages kind of seamlessly and cohesively really across all those customer touch points so that if you're delivering it through one channel, it's also being delivered through, through another. And so consumers are getting that kind of consistent, cohesive messaging t- uh, from you um, and, it's, you know, it's important because consumers have, they've really shifted the way they engage with brands. I mean, COVID has certainly made it worse, but even before that, the consumers were shifting the way that they were engaging with brands. And I think it's important for brands to also recognize that they need to shift the way that they're communicating with their guests and their customers. So a cross-channel messaging platform, I think, is, um, is vital to be able to make sure that the other pieces of that uh, house are being utilized effectively.
1: How do you think COVID has affected the cross-channel messaging strategy for brands and how the consumers are receptive of them?
2: Well, again, I think when what one thing COVID has done is it's really uh, changed a lot of the ways that that consumers are engaging with restaurant brands in general, right? They're trying new restaurants because those were the only ones that were open. They were they're trying new foods that they perhaps haven't changed that or excuse me tried before. Uh, and they're using, you know, different channels uh, to, to get that food, whether it's curbside or delivery. You know, my, my mother, you know, God bless her, has had to learn how to order her food, and she's 80 years old, and she's had to learn how to order food from a restaurant for the first time in her life. Um, and so, again, those were not well-worn paths. You know, Th- those were brand-new engagement opportunities and brand-new touch points. And so um, I think, uh, you know, as we go forward, the evidence is suggesting that many of those changes are going to are going to stick, and so I think it's imperative that you know if you think of it as like a snow globe, you know if we've shaken up the snow globe, and the question now becomes, you know, where's all that snow going to settle? And I think brands need to be where that snow settles. To bring another completely different metaphor into our conversation, um, and so I think a- adding those additional channels and making sure that you are available to talk to the consumers where they're at, um, is is just vital uh, to the way we're going forward.
0: We can put our house inside of a snow globe, so you know we're building this strong. It's being shaken up, and then we'll watch where everything falls around. But it's okay because we've got a strong roof, which we're going to get to next. Unified data is our foundation. Next gen loyalty, one of our walls. The other support structure here, the secondary wall, is our cross channel messaging. Um,
2: put put a roof on, and we're almost done. Yeah, well, the house there is, you know, once you've had your unified data platform, right, and once you have the ability to deliver those uh, highly personalized offers through a variety of, of channels, you know, that really is the the pieces that allow you to get to this idea of personalization. Uh, and and I think that is the, the piece that we're all aiming for right now. Um, but you need those other components. And so you know, we know that personalization. We talk about personalization as sort of this continuum, right? I mean, everything from is simply putting someone's name in an email, you know, all the way up to you know, real time personalization and machine learning and and these advanced kind of journey orchestrations that we can that we can get to nowadays. Um, I think that where you need to find yourself in that continuum is the place where it changes someone's behavior. Well, where the level of personalization actually changes someone's behavior. Um, and I think adding someone's name to an email you know, is quite honestly an expectation nowadays and that doesn't move the needle anymore. And so we're, we're having to increase the amount of personalization that we're able to do um, to get people to think differently about your brand and to then potentially change the way that they engage with and, and react to uh, your brand. Um, and so I think that's a big part of understanding how to do personalization in a way uh, that achieves a level where you're actually changing someone's behavior.
0: Personalization, you know, it's, it's about communicating with, you, with your customers, but it's beyond just trying to personalize to sell. It's advising or talking to them in a, in a broader way, to, I think, as you put, to show that you care it's not about just pushing the sell, which is where a lot of brands fall over. Which is a point actually, Kayla made in a in the last episode with Patrick Tripp. How, how do you think about that? Because I know it's something that you you know quite passionate about.
2: Yeah, I think the I mean the goal of personalization, in my opinion, is to communicate to the customer that you know enough about them because you care enough about them, and that you want them to be successful in achieving their goals. Uh, and even if that goal is a is a quick and delicious meal experience, right? Um, and so I think that that the more you know about somebody, it allows you to communicate uh, how much you are interested in them. And I think that level of personalization uh, is really what we want to do because that builds trust, right? And that builds the trust in the relationship. Uh, that is what strengthens that and deepens that relationship. Being able to, um, you know, know someone well enough that you can deliver to them uniquely relevant uh, offers and opportunities. Um, based on their individual actions and preferences. um, You know, I think that's the goal there is to strengthen the trust with the customer. And I think that's what restaurants do a very good job of that in the store. The challenge becomes how do we take that into a digital environment and still communicate uh, a lot of those same feelings and, uh, and the relationship uh, through digital channels.
1: As you're talking about trust, thought about like all the conversations we're having right now with the third party cookies and, do you see a lot of restaurant brands leveraging that? Um, and how do you think that the cookie going away is going to affect them?
2: Well, I would say that, uh, again, it's not something that most restaurants have been um, dealing with yet, because again, they haven't really been that far down the digital kind of transformation journey uh, as, as as many other industries have. So I don't think it's come up as, a, as an important piece. I think restaurants also tend to not be know sort of as website focused in terms of the way that they go to market um and so i think the you know the cookies are obviously going to be a challenge going forward for everybody and and getting past that um and and, you know again i think we have some interesting technologies that that can help brands do that um i don't think in the restaurant space you know i i'd be happy to have them you know build this house first
0: Final final section, our fifth part of, of house building. I sort of uh, looking at looking at our notes. It sort of actually comes down to how well a house is built. It can often come down to the labour you used and the materials at your disposal. And we all know about the people who built their house on sand. I think or was that the three little pigs? There's something there's something somewhere about don't don't get a wolf
2: to build your house. It's either one, yes you know, we all know that there are some houses that are better built than other houses, right? To carry our metaphor even further. And I think that, you know, if you wanna build that strong house, which we all want to do, right? uh, Then I think you have to really take a look at once you've built your foundation and your walls and your roof, it's sort of how well do all these people, pieces go together uh, so that they fit together and work well. And I think that is uh, this idea of, you know, can you get these pieces, as I mentioned earlier, can you get all of these disparate technologies to seamlessly integrate, so that you can deliver that sort of unified message to the customer, and I think that is really getting around this idea of um, native integrations, right? The ability for you to get as much of this technology under a single house uh, as possible, so that you can make sure that uh, you've got a frictionless experience at the end of the day for these consumers. And um, you know, when I was on the in the restaurant chain, I, like I said, I had all these different technologies and none of them worked together and it was a nightmare. And it really, um, you know, it really impacted in a negative way, the, our ability to be effective in terms of marketing to our customers. And uh, so it's not enough, it's not enough just to have the pieces, but you need them to work together seamlessly to make, you know, the whole greater than the proverbial sum of its parts, right?
0: Now we can, you know, we can put our cheetah spots on or whatever we want to call it. And, you know, frankly, this is what we're We've been working tirelessly over the past 18 months to, to build. We've been building our own house, uh, you know, at Cheetah. We've been building these parts from someone who's who's joined quite recently, um, but who has seen the industry evolve and seen the software and uh, martech that's available to people. Um, could you give us a little indication of, of how you see it? Just early on of the way that Cheetah can can bring all these pieces together? Yeah,
2: when when I first Started considering, you know, joining the Cheetah team and really getting into the technology and getting an understanding of what it is that we had. Um, th- this, w- you know, once I got a, a handle on this, this is exactly what I wanted. When I was sitting in the, you know, when I was the head of marketing for a restaurant chain, this is I was desperate for this collection of capabilities that could all seamlessly and natively integrate and work together. Um, it wasn't possible, you know, back when I was sitting in that seat but it is possible now. And that is what's made me so excited about this Cheetah uh, customer engagement suite. Like I, you know, I mean, honestly, this is the reason why I'm, you know, in this company right now is because I saw this technology and said, this is exactly what the market needs. This is exactly what I wanted and was desperate for. And I'm so glad that somebody has pulled it all together in a way uh, that is built around marketers with marketers in mind, um, they can deploy this thing in a very easy and seamless way um, to, to engage customers in the way that they want to be engaged. And I, you know, um, I mean, ultimately that's the reason why I joined the company it was because I saw this technology for what it was and knew how important it was to the restaurant industry in particular.
1: One question I had in this area is around organizations where they are quite siloed. What is a process or a recommendation you have for them in terms of Trying to work cross-functionally
2: or help consolidate the tech. Well, I, you know, one of them naturally is to work with partners that have as much of it under a single roof as possible, right? You want to have the goal is to have as few vendors as possible uh, in the restaurant space, and so um, you know the ability to work with a provider that has a best-of-breed solution uh, across multiple uh, technologies is i think you know again one of the most important things uh, that you could do out there is why work with 12 vendors when you can work with three or four you know or one um that's the key and so um there was a time when all this technology uh, was being run by individual specialized companies uh, but we don't live in that world now we live in a world where where someone like cheetah can get together build this this natively integrated platform from the ground up for all these pieces to work together, again, seamlessly and cohesively um, and create this sort of unified customer experience out there. And so a big part of that is simply saying, instead of working with a whole bunch of different folks, how do we consolidate our vendor stack uh, while we're building our technology stack?
0: Well, I think we've built a strong house together, but what we're trying to do here is, it's, it's communicating with people So they understand what we do and how we can help them. And so they get it and, and, the, the 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 concept and the framework that you've come up with here really does sort of land, especially with the QSR and restaurant space. I can also see other people, remember industries, listening to this and go, it it works for me in in I don't know CPG. I can immediately see it, it coming across and maybe you know swap next gen loyalty for for data acquisition, perhaps in that case, because um, the the funneling of getting more unified data into your foundations is perhaps
2: more key. Technology has a tendency to be complicated, and it certainly there's so many options out there and so many different types of technologies that people are thinking about that it can very easily get overwhelming and, and pretty confusing and i think a, a simple framework like this in my mind you know i'm a pretty simple guy and so i'm looking for a simple ways to understand how i can uh pursue my digital transformation uh without it overwhelming me uh and me losing track and then as you mentioned earlier you end up with a wall and a roof but no other wall and it's on a bad foundation right so um, you know, my my goal with this was to sort of think about this in a very sort of systematic way about pursuing the types of technology you need so that they can all build upon each other and work.
0: If you're a, a QSR restaurant um, marketing person in, in that world and you're looking at this, you have just listened to you talk today. Would you recommend that they look at those sort of the, the pillars or the starting points and go through them in order?
2: Yeah. And that's the whole idea of this sort of metaphor was this idea of how do you pursue this digital transformation in a way that is, uh, you know, systematic and organized and, and linear in fashion so that you could sort of build one technology on top of the other and then leverage that that technology to make the next one better, to make the next one better. Uh, and that's kind of the way that I put this together. And so, you know, there's no point in having a next-gen loyalty program if you can't get your data there's no point having cross-channel messaging if you can't put the offers together uh, and content together to deliver to the consumer in the way that they need it and, and all of that leads to this idea of getting to that one in one you know customer experience um and so again it's all supposed to be you know thinking you're supposed to be thinking about this in this kind of organized fashion that was a hope anyway
0: looking at some of the blockers to digital transformation, or really just um, how QSR and restaurant brands have approached
2: digital? What
0: have been some of the blockers or some of the reasons why it has been slower?
2: Yeah, I think the restaurant industry has traditionally been a little slower to adopt technology. And and a lot of that has to do with just the structure of the industry. Um, Most of the large restaurant chains are franchised systems, right? So you've got uh, owner operators out in the, in the various marketplaces that, that are buying franchise units and then, and then sort tr- of standing them up and operating them. And so you have this very decentralized uh, structure. And, and as a result, it's, it's been hard for restaurants to kind of get uh, unified platforms system-wide that can execute a lot of this digital technology through. Um, you've got systems that have, you know, multiple p- point of sale systems, for example, and, and, you know multiple. Uh, mobile apps potentially, and and you know a, a lot of technology that is actually being driven at the franchisee level, um, and and that creates this kind of fragmented tech stack. Uh, and as a result, you know it's just it's more challenging to try to get that to migrate. Um, you also have the biggest technology piece, arguably within a restaurant, has been the point of sale system, uh, and that industry uh, has transformed itself into these uh, much more nimble and and less expensive. You know cloud POS platforms, um, but a lot of the older restaurants are stuck with these large, um, you know, tech stacks that are that are that are legacy systems that are they're simply outdated, and so and it costs a lot of money to to upgrade those, right? So um, you end up with a very fragmented system that doesn't allow uh, the corporate brand uh, or the franchisor to execute down to the individual store level as effectively as they'd like to, and so um, you're seeing that being you know, corrected very quickly. Lots of consolidation of POS systems and digital ordering systems and everything else. And they've had to, right? Uh, So they've gotten much better at kind of consolidating that, but um, it's a big part of it. And I think the other challenge with that is when you think about all the different ways that you can order from a restaurant, um, there's, you know, you can order obviously in the restaurant itself, right? You can order through their mobile app, you can order on their website, you can order by phone. You can order obviously in a kiosk potentially that's in that's somewhere in the in the facility as well. And so there's all these different ways that you can you can order food. And as a result, those are all different transaction streams that then all have to be consolidated together. And that is a that is a challenge as well. That is not seen in many other industries.
1: One interesting thing that I've kind of heard about recently is this concept coming out of 2020s ghost kitchens. So, how can you make as much food as possible with as little people as possible? Where do you see that happening in the next few years?
2: Yeah, so there's there's you know two different kind of concepts around that idea. One is a is is a ghost kitchen, and what a ghost kitchen is really is nothing more than the ability to uh, produce the food uh, in an in an uh, off premise location. Uh, not in the actual within the four walls of the restaurant, have a separate location available for delivery-only orders. Uh, and what that does is it frees up your your kitchen to essentially handle the on-premise business uh, while still being able to satisfy the needs of the off-premise orders that are coming in. So you'll see many restaurants right now sort of you know having these kind of satellite locations that do nothing but but handle third-party delivery orders uh, or their own in-house orders uh, for for delivery. So, you know, I think that is a uh, an interesting new part of the industry. Uh, it's a pretty small one right now, and we'll, we'll see how it grows in terms of, you know, whether it takes over um, a, a large chunk of the business. But I think it's smart for all restaurants to think about how you can get outside of a constraint like your kitchen um, in order to serve as many of those customers as you can. And, you know, the other side of that is what they call a virtual kitchen. And a virtual kitchen is like a virtual brand, right? It's a separate brand. Um, that is, is a virtual brand. And so it has no location that you can go up to and there's no dining room and has no you know, place to, to, to walk into. It's, it exists entirely at a virtual level. Uh, they also call them cloud kitchens and it's the same concept. And so you know, you're seeing lots of um, concepts experiment with different types of food uh, in these virtual kitchens because again, you know, some food tra- uh, is transported easier than other food, right? Um, And so things like pizza and wings, they travel really well and the food doesn't suffer uh, when it has to be transported uh, over distances and over time. Uh, Whereas other concepts, uh, their core menu items really suffer when you try to to, to have them delivered. And so uh, that really gives, again, restaurants another stream of revenue to explore ways of satisfying the needs of those customers.
1: How do you see marketing kind of rolling into that? So you have this brand and they develop, let's say, taking the virtual kitchens in, into this. They are developing a whole sister brand, right, that has no location. What are some of the ways that you see kind of marketing strategies being redeveloped in order to accommodate these new um, kitchens that are have, popping up?
2: Yeah, well, the biggest challenge, obviously, is if you're you know, creating a virtual kitchen, um, you're creating a virtual brand, and that brand has to be developed like any other brand would be. and. So I think the biggest challenge for restaurants who are looking at a virtual kitchen idea is can they effectively build a brand that consumers will, will know, like, and trust um, such that they'll want to do business with. And, and, you know, we all know, having spent as much time in the, rest, in the marketing industry as we have, it's, it's not easy to get there, right? And so um, I think there's a particular challenge when you have restaurant concepts that are already well-known and already have strong brands that then want to go off and create an entirely new brand uh, that nobody knows about uh, and really can't directly experience, right? Um, And and how effective those companies are going to be in in establishing those new brands. Because until they do that, um, you know, I I think it's going to be a challenge to get some of those virtual brands to become as successful as, you know, the restaurants may want them to be. Because I think they take for granted the power of the current brand that they have
1: so kevin we like to close out with a little piece of uncaged wisdom from our guests and this can be anything it does not have to pertain to the topic we talked about today just any type of wisdom you would like to
2: impart on our listeners you know what i found over my career in marketing is that it is very easy for Marketers, in particular, to get overly focused on campaigns and on executions of campaigns, and lose sight of the initial intent on why we're doing this in the first place. Uh, in other words, we get we get sort of uh, very focused on activity and not on the strategy of why what we're trying to achieve. And so, I think that you know, if I could give any advice to to the marketers out there, um, it, it would be that you know you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And so the key is to be able to understand what it is that we want to accomplish, uh, and then make sure that we're sort of staying on the most direct path toward that destination.
0: Kevin, thank you very much, though. It's been a fantastic uh, chat today. I I hope you
2: enjoyed it. I did. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you guys for inviting me.
1: to Uncaged Wisdom for the latest and greatest in digital marketing insights and how they're solving problems with software and strategies.